Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Scholar on the Belt and Road podcast. I'm your host, Oli Malimov. On this 15th episode, we're bringing you a conversation with an individual whose everyday work revolves around bridging intercultural misunderstandings and facilitating collaboration between the change drivers from different countries. Li Yingying, co-host of the very popular How China Works podcast, a trilingual cross-cultural communication and leadership coach, the founder of the next generation consulting platform Yingfluence, shared with us the story of a girl who discovered the values of curiosity and open-mindedness in her ongoing journey of making the East meet the West. From India to Brazil, from the United States back to China, what does it take to be a thought leader? Is one born to be a self-conscious cross-cultural communicator? What prevents successful business makers from expanding into Chinese markets and their Chinese counterparts from going global? We hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Very glad to be here. Ying Ying, you are a young entrepreneur who has dedicated her life and work toward intercultural communication. Your projects are designed to bring cultures and people together. Tell me about the genesis of your story. How did you come about doing what you do? Well, first of all, I'd really say hi to the SEO members, the audience we have. I really think it started with my cultural DNA back to where I was born, which is, as probably you know, that is Kaifeng, is um, the one city in Henan province with over over 2,700 years old. It used to be the capital city of Northern Song Dynasty. It's a very traditional place. It's where basically the Chinese, the most, uh, where China began, literally. So right. I grew up in a very traditional Chinese cultural environment. Of course, you can see that how I got trained by those typical Chinese cultural values. But I think my life shifted ever since 2007. So you can call it a lucky draw. You can call it um, or a fate a ticket that I was enrolled in a program called International Cross-Cultural Communication. It was the first undergraduate program that designed in my universe. Actually, with only one in China back then to cultivate people who can do cross-cultural work and to face the increasing the globalization um, situations. Interestingly, I got lucky to be involved in to be trained uh, with the language skills and with the culturals. It really opened my eyes. I mean, the program opened my eyes. How many languages do you speak? Three and a half, I guess. <laughs> and Chinese Mandarin is my official language. Right, and Portuguese, course. when I was living in Brazil, I pick up some. And a little bit of Spanish. Okay, amazing. Yeah, and a half of what? A little bit. Of Spanish is Spanish, that half, right? Yeah, I'm but it's trying. Very similar it's to very similar in trying to right? pick up more, yeah. Exactly. So 
act, right after, you know, this is the first thing that set what I do right now, but it's too far away from now. But I was taken to this cross-cultural journey, starting with working and, and doing internship in India and Turkey. And uh, also, I was actually doing was working as an intern um, with people from many different countries in ISAC program, and you might heard about it, right? And later, somehow was selected to teach uh, Chinese culture, Mandarin, in Brazil through Confucius Institute. And the first year when I was recommended to be a master of teaching Chinese to speakers of other languages, and I got involved in this I got selected, actually, by Confucian Institute when there was a need to send teachers to Brazil for teaching uh, Mandarin. And interestingly, the programs I was involved, I was supposed to teach uh, college students like my other colleagues. But I was sent to a program at teaching um, adults in, in, in Brazil who were actually much older than me are from all walks of life. And they are more like engineers, uh, entrepreneurs, and executives who have interest in studying Mandarin to uh, work and uh, do business with Chinese uh, companies. So that actually in some ways started my interest of doing cross-cultural coaching and workshops for both sides. But there's a lot of story involved. Um, but after Brazil, I got a chance to really th- reselect my uh, my journey, right? I was thinking, what should I do at the time? And I s- literally chose to go to the United States for my second master, and, and ever since then, the story started to become more dramatic. <laughs> I was living in Utah for the first time. And How did you end up in Utah? Yeah, the university I got involved is uh, Brigham University. Okay. Yeah, it's a Mormon school. It's quite uh, interesting and quite different culture as well. <laughs> and the program I got involved in Utah was a master, uh, master of Mass Communication. So it was there I got trained about social media and uh, um, international public relations. And it was there I started to realize that, wow, communication it's not just a science, but also also an art. And living in such a different cultural uh, environment in Utah, in in a Mormon school, uh, make me think even further what communication means to people if we, they want to, you know, connect and and do things together. So, actually, a lot of thoughts involved, but I. Later, I moved to Silicon Valley after graduation. Right after Utah, right? Yes, actually, before finishing my degree. But I finished in San Francisco. <laughs> so basically, it was a risky move, a risky, risky choice. Before finishing your degree, you move outside of Utah, which is where your ac- academic study should be finished at. Um, but I think I heard a calling at the time very strongly. Mm, is that... When I was living in the U.S., I used my time to travel to over 20 different states to feel like what is the future that I want to have, what is the environment um, that I would like to be in. 
I travel and travel to multiple cities, metropolitans, and I feel so much connected when I entered, when I landed in San Francisco, which is a fascinating uh, culture and diversity to me at the time. And after several times of uh, visiting, I decided to move to San Francisco even before I finished my master thesis. That was a huge, <laughs> um, that was a huge um, risk at the time. But I feel the calling was so strong. Mm. I feel that this city connect me most. I feel there's some stories that I can create and some people I can connect and something I could learn um, that like nowhere else could give me, that to me. And I felt so strong that I took the chance to move uh, to San Francisco and everything started over there. So it was quite a memory to me. Tell us about your move back to China and uh, your company, Yinfluence. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the mission of the company is, because it is boldly named after your name, Ying Ying. Tell us about what who Yinfluencers are and what do you hope to achieve with the company? Before I tell you directly about those, this answer, this is very important to me. It's in my mind, in my life every single day. I would like to say, uh, to provide a little background with why I started what I do after so long cross-cultural journey I've, take, I've taken. When I was in San Francisco, I was not thinking of finding a job like most other uh, maybe Chinese student uh, choose I think the calling was so strong. I have to start something on my on my own, but I was involved with um, some part time jobs as um, journalist for Taishin Global Globus, right. and also interestingly, I got selected to be uh, uh, the coach for On the Room, which is a U.S. based leadership development company. So these two companies, in some way. It's perfectly fit in my life at the time with teaching about what communication is, what I really wanted to do. But I felt like the story in Brazil, um, my, my experience in Brazil had taught me something that I constantly shared in my previous uh, talks and podcast. There was a story that was really, really connecting with me. I shared that actually in the training with Scholar yesterday again and again. A story goes like this. A beautiful Sunday in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and a big house made of tall walls. And a group of shirtless Chinese businessmen are playing mahjong like this table all day long while complaining about their Brazilian colleagues. Uh, what the Brazilian are thinking about um, actually, all they do, all they try to, uh, all they want to do is to go to the beach, drinking beers and dance samba and enjoying life. <laughs> and who can blame them? <laughs> yeah, basically, that's kind of different from the nine nine six culture that the Chinese um, mindset is about, right? Right. And and nine nine six is basically nine to nine, six days a week. Yeah, working hard, exactly. hard working. And That's a startup life. It's kind of like that. And the Chinese is, is reputable for this in some way. Exactly. Um, well, they actually don't know. A couple blocks away in another apartment, their Brazilian colleagues are complaining about them as well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what the heck China is thinking about? In our meeting, there's no way um, to tell yes or no from their face. I pre- prepared this proposal for so long time. I don't know whether or not it's their interest or not. It's so difficult to get in your mind. Right. So clearly, this kind of conflict at that time drove me to think a lot. At, when I was sent to Brazil, I was just a name card for China to help Chinese uh, Brazilians to be China smart in some way, just trying to learn the language, you know, connect with Chinese market. But I didn't know the Chinese executives and people who are actually trying to go global and you know really to work effortlessly to build the product are also facing. This kind of uh, the same issues, right? The same issues. So I think it's not one way thing; it's two way. It never is. Yeah, and I feel like I have something. I had to do something, so I jumped in, uh, become teachers, uh, also become teachers for the Chinese uh, friends and their in their companies. So generally speaking, for Monday to Friday, I was working for uh, Confucian Institute or teaching Brazilians what China Chinese, but in Saturday and Sunday. I became very local, very Chinese, and I tried to help um, the Chinese executives to know what Portuguese and Brazilian culture is. And I find that's not enough even. Like by just teaching both are not enough. What is the best way to do to bring these cross-cultural gaps is to bring them together. So I was actually trying so hard to... I brought my Brazilian students, um, of course, they're very active participant to my Chinese uh, workshops. I also create all kinds of, in, you know, engagement for both of them to learn each other's language and culture and to travel together, to sing karaoke, to play football gradually. And I think the trust, the interest for each other actually start to grow and the trust and friendship has been built. And little by little, it worked. Like in the real business setting, they started to really be more comfortable and relax, and they uh, they get deals uh, happen. So I feel wow! I didn't know that was the impact. There's something that I could do besides just being a, uh, a teacher or you know or a trainer over there doing my or original job. I could do something more. So that was original story. But back then, back to Silicon Valley, imagine this kind of conflicts situation happening. Everywhere, not just in Brazil, of course, Africa, um, Europe, um, between U.S. and China. Can you imagine that? There must be a lot of things bef- between professionals from uh, East and West, from many different subsets right. of cultures, and there's so many things, nuances need to be decoded. And I would like to try my best since I'm equipped with language skills and I'm equipped with uh, communication and the so-called opportunity that if there is a something like divine um, power actually given me I want to do bigger do do bigger impact not just uh, finding a job doing something like just for myself so influence exactly based on this kind of needs and situation it's in one way, it's a symbol for cross-cultural leadership or for fostering cross-cultural leaders. What does it really mean, cross-cultural leaders? It's um, cross-cultural leadership is the ability to be able to emphasize, connect, 
and lead in different cultural groups and create a win-win together. But all of that requires uh, particular knowledge. Without knowledge, without particular education, for example, like you do and like you understand, for a lot of people it's actually very difficult to reach that understanding of cross-cultural and then, you know, fill the blank. Right, right. And it takes time, it takes commitment. But first, it takes awareness. So under this term, cross-cultural leader, what does it mean, right? We have, you know, this is after working for so many years and also my personal uh, understanding about what it is, is at least comprised of three parts. So being a cross-cultural leader, there are, under this umbrella, there are three pillars at least. Diversity thinking, cultural intelligence, and East meets West uh, capabilities. So what does it mean to have diversity thinking in today's world where technology, media, information are influencing our decision-making every single second? And extremely to feel it is easier and more than ever easier to be biased and to stay comfortably in one group, in one thinking, and to not really to be able to get out of this. But diverse thinking, in some way, we have a special training program for that, but it is in some way to for you to think as if there's no box and to connect diversely and to do things, to connect the dots and by building the, you know, creativity comes from um, the ability to find the irrelevancy, for find the common things from irrelevancy. This seems irrelevant, but it's, it's great when put together. So there's um, something we, we, the program we created is really to encourage people to have, to be equipped with everything. So Influence has a specific program that teaches businesses mm-hmm. how to communicate with one another in different settings, is that right? Right. I haven't explained it to my uh, third, uh, second and third pillar, but it's relevant to your question. For the cultural intelligence, I'll go back to give more details. Mm. That's the whole thing that I really care about, this core mm. of cultural, uh, cross-cultural mm. leadership. But for the East meets the West, it's something I really believe is something essential for today's leaders if you want to go global, if you want to be a true global leader. Because I find the biggest gap between um, among different nations and among different organizations is, is the lack of ability to emphasize, to understand the, diff, um, the different civilizations mm-hmm. and cultures. Mm-hmm. And there's numbers to feel like 90% of the executives coming from 68 countries identify this kind of gap, cross-cultural effectiveness, is their, their biggest number one reason for, um, for failure. And 70% international ventures fail because they're not able to, to, to meet that this kind of differences between East and West cultures. And right now is what's going on with the China and U.S. with this, the rising power and everything. And it seems there's a, like the culture iceberg uh, theory. There's under those icebergs, there's a lot of invisible factors. To, right. Yeah. And I think like 
why we wear something differently and how we uh, greet each other. Those are the things are visible. But under this uh, cultural iceberg, there's so much more like why I choose to believe something. All right, and when something show up, what influenced my thinking? Those kind of things are invisible, but I feel it's um, the East and West um, like cultural gaps are the biggest. And also regarding your particular question, for influence, what we try to create is not just leadership courses for the, the rest of the world, or the, let's say the West. I was mostly in the West doing this kind of work right. to help to understand what China is and like how China works that I, I was actually hosting. It's not enough just to, to tell the world what China is outside of China, but it's so important as a Chinese, I have to realize that what China needs to face. When you really want to be able to go global and to be understood, be embraced by the world, unleash its true power. Because for a civilization like this, and so much times it's misunderstood about by the outside, at least still by now. Right. And I think there's, we need, it's like building a bridge. How to build a bridge? There's no way to build a bridge all the way from the east to the west. It has to be coming from two sides, working simultaneously or like at least with efforts together to bridge that gap. Right. That being said, the, each of this side has to make the efforts, compromise even, to, to, to bridge the gap. So for Chinese, especially Chinese young millennials, they are youth, leaders, entrepreneurs. Those are the driving force for China's future to, when it comes to where China is going to be. I feel like it's critical for Chinese millennials and uh, entrepreneurs, the leaders, the professionals, right. who could be equipped with this cultural intelligence and work consciously in growing their cultural intelligence and this kind of leadership to make greater things and to become the bridge themselves. And by then, it will not be one man or one person's efforts or that someone bring this concept out. It would be a lot of people are become more and more aware the importance of this and join the groups of building bridges together. So with that being said, only by doing that, I think our world... Um, now, how do you become aware, as you say? Now, when, it, when it comes to, uh, for example, uh, you, when you moved around different places, worked, you assessed the situation... Um, you try to understand what those cultures are all about. You try to uh, grasp the information that was presented to you. Uh, you probably try to be on the other side and look at yourself or uh, in your own words, looked at the Chinese culture or at an Eastern culture um, from the other side in order to understand what the other people are thinking hence uh, your example uh, about the Brazilians and Chinese. Now, from your perspective, uh, to be aware, is it something that you have to have within the DNA? Or 
is it something that you can learn and you can come to uh, within the time of your education about uh, specific intercultural communication or any experiences that you might have in your life? Great question. I use this mantra many times when I'm around with friends and family, even who I care. This mantra is you don't know what you don't know, so you don't want to know, and you will never know. And this mantra sounds so like a small tongue twister, but it's so true in our life. When it really comes to the foundation of being aware, this mantra comes to block everyone like, like us, actually, from being able to be aware or want to be aware. So the mantra, to break the mantra, is you don't know what you don't know, but you want to know, and you will know. So to break this mantra is really initiate the curiosity, the desire. So awareness comes from curiosity. Curiosity. But that applies to anybody, right? You, there, there, there could be uh, an African or an Asian or but a not South curiosity. American. <laughs> it's one of the key ingredients here that uh, has to be combined with other key ingredients. Like, mm. I think I was at least to give three here. <clears throat> curiosity, mission and vision it's so important right now in today's world i mean people can say i am curious and how can you tell someone what do you do with your curiosity that's the question yeah the curiosity really lies in um more specifically to this being a cross-cultural leader is going back to if you have the drive to understand a different culture than yours. This is something could applies to many people, including domestically speaking in China, from the south to the north, not necessarily from like a different country to a different country. And that the drive is in some way aligned with um, your mission. When it comes to that is why do I need to know about this? Right? Right. And curiosity in some way is the foundation for someone to be intelligent and continue to build that intelligence. I could give one example. When I was young, like when I was living in my hometown, never get involved with this cross-cultural communication journey, I was just a little girl in Henan province and living with my peers and my family, right? I think at that time, um, I was a little bit rebellant, rebellious, uh, at least. That's the ingredient. I mean, right? <laughs> in some way, you know, it's kind of like a, nat- a little bit nature that you, you got to but that's the the, funda- the base exactly. of the base, right? Yes. And I feel to see outside the world, take the first step. It's not easy because once you stay in your environment for so long time, it's, it's increasingly difficult for you to be curious about many other different things. You might have resistance because something is different from yours. Your natural instinct is to protect yourself, like to shut it down but you have to taste the sweet sweet sweets of it 就是尝到甜头 in chinese 
the first time for me to 尝到甜头 for my curiosity、mm. was my first experience abroad. But not but right now I'm talking about just my personal experience, not necessarily for our audience. You have to go abroad to build your curiosity. I feel naturally people are curious; they're alligators, right? If if you ask the question, generally, why in public speaking, there's a lot of people ask questions and people pay attention to it, because people are generally turned to、um, to be curious about things. Naturally, there is a natural instinct about the world around them. Yes, and especially in today's world, it's easy with media. But there time in I got interestingly involved in a I'm not saying crisis. It was something like I was supposed to do smoothly got my international experience through internship. But it was adventure. It turned out to be adventure for me when I was in India.、Um, I have to really face kind of emergency. Abroad by myself, a Chinese girl like twenty years old. Nobody helped you, and you got to really fight with time to do with it in a, such a total different environment. Right. So that kind of、uh, uncomfortable was, situation. That was, I would say, that's external pressure for me、exactly. to drive me in the like when you have no choice. Some people will naturally born with stronger will will. Those stronger leadership elements from your inside will come out, but I wouldn't. I'm not saying encouraging everyone to find that kind of external、uh, risk of adventure, but I would like to use that example to say at the time you have to really,、um, 就是单枪匹马 fight alone and do those things to getting the right, but you build your confidence. After first those move, you, your curiosity leads you to go to a different place, and with the external factor、right. coming to you, and you mix that with, you know, to become to develop new experience, and then that's more solid. I feel wow, I can do this. That was not supposed to be my life, but this is the the confidence I built after I take a little bit of curiosity out. And then it started to grow. It started to grow, and maybe one or two times like this, where you start to feel 尝到甜头 you feel like this is、right. really great. This is like the feel that I need, and then you start to go from there, and naturally the non-stoppable. I feel like for a lot of young people asking me these days,、uh, younger, like ten years even younger than me, and say Ying Ying, so how did you build courage? To go to those places because in Chinese culture, 父母在不远游 which means if your parents are around, you're not supposed to leave that far. Then I had been far away from hometown, like not just thousands of miles, like like tens of thousands of miles away. And why could took the first step was you just say the curiosity drove me to a situation that make me feel as this is sweet in my life. Then I want more, and I start to create that opportunity for myself. And then I see a bigger world, and I connect with more people from diverse background. I see, I taste much bigger,、um, this kind of stimulus in my、uh, brain, and I feel like, oh, I can do much more, much more. Big. This is a gradually to build this courage and confidence in your life. And once you are rich,、uh, in in some, you know, once there are、right. many years. Past, and you look back, 
you see that like every adventure is not wasted. It's not. It's not just like a, a no, like a pointless. It's it's all the stepping stones. Absolutely, it all has meaning. Yeah, yeah. Especially right now when you're running your business now, when you're bringing all of your experiences uh, and put it all on the table in front of. Uh, uh, CEOs in front of uh, companies that that achieved a lot in their businesses and are either coming to China or maybe uh, going from China abroad. Can you share your business model, especially uh, when your company deals with culture? How hard is it to generate cash from culture? Well, it's not. Generate cash directly from culture. What I mostly focus on is still kind of effort of education, right? Right, but it's kind of entrepreneurial and start and um, for execu- executive uh, uh, kind of education. My biggest passion is still to help people to be able to be culturally intelligent and to be successfully. And I think it's important we realize that for my experience for last over a, a decade, I feel like sometimes the content, the content 10 years back and 10 years right now, when people say you can monetize the content, and if you say that to people 10 years back, they wouldn't really... Really yeah, yeah. give uh, any kind of <laughs> yeah. importance, but right now, is specifically in China, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, startups are working on this monetiza- monetization of uh, content. Um, you might have heard of some of them. It's quite a different. So how how do you monetize? If we, go, we can go to specifics, how can you monetize uh, from content? Yeah, for. I haven't got a chance to introduce uh, the influencer network that I've been built. Literally, it's a global cultural broker system. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I think it's important we understand that um, after telling all the story, that I'm not alone. I'm not just want to go, in, uh, go this to push and to uh, move this forward myself. I think I want to go with a great... Uh, talent, cross-cultural mm-hmm. talent together. So about four or five years back, I started to have the idea when I was abroad, when I was teaching um, professionals on entrepreneurs and executives, and when I was having the opportunity to connect with them, I find their uh, hurdles, I find their uh, challenges, and also know where their um, like intelligence lies or expertise lies in. So I find there's the untapped resources and opportunity in connecting with these particular uh, cultural leaders. They are more um, as I want like take this opportunity to share a little more, a little bit more about this kind of network. It's not just a network for uh, rich people or famous or influencers. Those people who can, you know, have a reputable business and, um, and not just that kind of simple. The original idea is to connect to people who are actually are smart, but empathetic, mm-hmm. right? And talented mm-hmm. and resourceful. 
Mm-hmm. And they are bilingual or multilingual or very savvy, world savvy in different cultural markets, at least two, like in China and US. And it's not hard to find in Brazil and the United States. You find those top talented Chinese uh, engineers or managers or even directors in those companies, especially right. in the Silicon Valley, um, work for Google, LinkedIn, Facebook. And those people who have been through a lot of, if not training or experience, cross-cultural experience, they have been in a position to be able to share their experience, to share their brain, to share their, most importantly, we connect with people who are mission-driven, who are passionate in in being able to share and mentoring people. And they're generally, we have those influencers are quite expressive. There are some way. There are three categories in in this network. Literally, the first category is the scholars, mm-hmm. writers, um, executive coaches, speakers, keynote speakers, who are actually are kind of savvy in at least two different markets, like China and U.S. and China Europe, and this, who who constantly write or speak or know about these kind of issues. They can produce content. That's the first category. Who do they produce this content for? They, uh, we right now, since we're more focused on China and the West market, like U.S., for example. Right. So they are either the China expert, mm-hmm. or talking about, for example, for example, they are from Israel or from the um, United States. Right. They are have been significantly involved and engaged with China and Chinese market and business trade and this kind of more business market relevant. That's one thing. Or that could be not just the market and business setters. That could be more from the thinkers. Mm-hmm. When I say thinkers is why, why I gave it first category. Because this is not like a, we want to have a, a rich man club or something like that. Right. This, there's a lot of so many. There are so many already in the world. Right. And what uh, this is directly connected with my mission and my experience, my, my belief. I feel like this world is moved by the cross-cultural thinkers, the, the, the people who True. really have these independent, critical, and deep-thinking skills. And they care about culture and civilization. They care about uh, humanity. So we connect this first group, people who constantly are... Together, connect yeah. them together. Yeah, they are scholars and they publish... On both. your platform, right? Yeah, yeah yes. We, okay. have, we have connected with many cross-cultural experts. They, are published, they publish books, articles, and even reports. Mm-hmm. Valuable insights on um, the leadership, of course, cross-cultural. Leadership is one thing. And cultural intelligence. And also the relationship in China world, the, the insights the evolving insights about it. I think we want to work with them so we can... And I can give you one example. Mm -hmm. Um, Myself, because it's kind of still a boutique consulting uh, for me, and I mostly are very active in doing with... um, connecting with influencers, working with influencers. We can have co-published articles on the, you know, the relationship between China and the U.S. and right. the communication challenges as well as uh, the opportunities. And we also have co-created courses and uh, seminars, mm. events with influencers and in both countries, both in China and, and the Silicon Valley. We work with the key opinion leaders 
we generate the content together that we either in the event and a conference or in the publication format. And uh, most recently, we're developing a more significant uh, project in inviting influencers to be able to, um, there's a lot of book they published, right. and we will select the best relate, relevant um, thoughts, the piece of thoughts, to help them to um, be published or even um, to get into the Chinese market. Right. Like the innovation uh, ones and also the cultural intelligence ones. So how on demand is this business right now It's in growing. China? It's growing. I could give example like 10 years back. When 10 years back was literally when China just got uh, 30 years of reform and opening up. Right. When Chinese focus, the whole nation's focus was still actually developing the economy very, very like focused. And, and, but at this point, if you are asking me in 2018, 2019, this is also relevant to my past background. I noticed this is a strong trend. Suddenly, the world started talking about China right. everywhere in the last two years, especially now. So in the past, business consultant, or when you analyze business, when we're living in a peaceful world, we are still in a peaceful world. But I would try to say if we know that the, this, this, this moment of, the, of time, there's a lot of uh, interesting happen geopolitically and also a lot of things involved with the, the cyber crime, cyber security crimes, right. and those threats coming everywhere. And I feel like it's important to, to, to think about new types of leadership not just like a, 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 a global leadership, like a nation and company, but also individually, I think. Mm-hmm. How, we can to, how, we, how can we face this challenge together? So for executives from companies, giant companies, tech companies, Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba, and Google, Facebook, these kind of companies, those people, those engineers, those AI coders, those, those people who can create algorithm that change the world. Our tech people are the most business leaders. So how important for them to be equipped with the more and higher human intelligence, human awareness, so that we will not, you know, we will actually create a much peaceful and prosperous world. Does that mean that they uh, pay for these type of programs? They have it in their budget? Because we know how hard it is to... Uh, introduce anything new, anything novel, like of what course. we're discussing into the budget. So Jack Ma have said, <laughs> he has said, um, because of believing, you see, or because um, It sounds simple, but it's very powerful for it leaders is, yeah. if you believe and it start you start to see it but it's not like under of under nothing kind of commitment uh, efforts or possible possibly the world trends changing i feel like it's really you have to be able to sense where, where the world's going and and in our influencers uh, communities we are people with marco um, there's micro and marco is marco thinking big picture and visionaries to really be able to sense and the, the, the bigger picture 
because that I feel like it's more and more important right now. So for me, I can only share it's sometimes in order to build a successful startup, it's not about how hard the founder works. It's not about how strong your team, how good background you have, or how much money you have. It's about timing. Again, mm-hmm. uh, you, we all understand this. This is my belief. <laughs> my belief is because the evidence show, uh, this, have you read the book, uh, Singularity? Right. Yeah, and there's evidence show that it, when, when combined with many factors, the geopolitical and societal and technical you know, technological and cultural factor together, it is critical to think about this cultural intelligence as one of the drive for people to understand what is important to care about developing our higher potential in a human so we can face where artificial intelligence will present to us. And I think... We're talking to uh, conference leaders, like I'm mostly doing a lot of uh, speaking engagement. And I also have been invited to do some workshop and training for some organizations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this year particularly, (laughs) I don't know why, maybe it's because... There's been a boom. uh, There's been a growing interest in learning about uh, cultural intelligence. Is it mostly from Chinese companies or Western from, companies? From right now, here our, in China, what 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 I most contact are actually from the outside of China who actually have a real interest in in, in, in getting, learning more about in China. learning about how China works and learning about really how can I do business because they know that for a rising China, what they present, they kind of the world has already been China smarter. But they want to know who they can trust. Who can? What are the nuances? What are the changes among millennials, um, young Chinese consumers, among all those things? What are the real opportunities? Because it, it's always a, a, a battle. Now, in in your experience, because you deal with a lot of uh, young people, um, how aware are the young people, especially when you mentioned millennials, about this um, uh, cross cultural? Um, communication that you've brought up right now are they are they uh, in your experience are they more aware or uh, are are there still some gaps to be filled especially especially here in China there are two categories the first category is the global Chinese when I say global Chinese are mostly comprised of the overseas student and those people I cannot give you a specific number right now, but it's huge already. As you probably see, 40 years ago, uh, there are only possibly... Oh, millions, actually. Yeah, millions. right now, you know, it's it's a really significant number. Right. Those, those Chinese people, younger millennials, they want to see the world. Like like any U.S. Uh, young millennials or the European ones. So those are more and more... They are facing a lot of more questions when they travel, when they go back to their homeland, they have the re-entry cultural shock. They start to not be understood uh, by their family once they lived in different countries for a while. They come back to have to deal with the cultural conflicts inside of their hometown, of their family. And they are frustrated. 
That's why we heard about a lot of them. How I'm going to deal with this? What does it mean? So right now in Chinese social media, Chinese social media are very, very enthusiastic in um, discussing about all these issues. Mm. It's also a trend what I perceived is quite different from even two years back, one year back. And, and I feel like this year's Chinese younger, because right now netizens are mostly like young millennials, right? right. They use on the internet and being partic- participate in this kind of discussion most. Right. So I saw the topics popping up. I say, wow, this is different even from two years back when I look back to how the Chinese, uh, young Chinese netizens are talking about. They start to be more aware about, more socially aware or, you know, more independently aware of the conflicts they're facing, uh, the values. But, there is a but. Um, Because the lack of uh, this kind of education and training in universities, in even key organizations, a lot of them still don't think this as from um, model thinking, from from, um, um, perspective of systematic perspective. What is really influencing me to have this? And I think that's with time, with their going global more, participate a lot of global traveling experience, like a lot of xiangmu, like touring around, they start to get deep dive or local engagement. This is what I called um, the Atel model, I always say, awareness. We mentioned about that. And then you build intelligence with awareness. And then you start to be aware with what are the techniques I could be equipped with in going global? Languages, storytelling, communication, relationship building, networking, and then you are going to engage more. This is what exactly I'm talking about. And right now, I see a lot of young Chinese millennials are engaging more than just traveling or being there in a cultural place. They make local impact. And then they could be a cross-cultural leader and come back to re-influence people to have more cultural awareness. So I feel like this is has to take time. But once the Chinese millennial could be equipped with this kind of thinking, uh, I was talking about these uh, three pillars, diversity and cultural intelligence, East meets West. And under that, there's a cultural intelligence. Mm-hmm. Cultural intelligence is... Um, the drive, the knowledge, the strategy, and the action, and this uh, the the bottom is the five the five uh, steps that I just mentioned: awareness, intelligence, techniques, engagement, the leader, being a leader, cross cultural leader. So there's like one, two, three, four, five. Um, uh, we create this uh, hosted medical um, model. We want to be a we want this to be applied in not just in training courses for both sides, for Chinese knowing going global, for people to understand China. But also, this is what I truly want. Where there's a gap, there is a bridge. There's many gaps than just cultural gap. And in China, a huge country like this, I saw many international young entrepreneurs are trying really to make an impact in China. And I want to bring them to even deeper, to have an even deeper dive to understand maybe in, in, in Chinese countryside, you know that countryside represents a significant amount of Chinese traditional values and culture still. Absolutely, yes. And they are just two hours away drive from Beijing or even... Or any other megapolices, right? Yes, and in China it's huge and changing fast. But those people, they also want to know what the world is about. 
even the Chunzhang, the head of the country, the, the head of this uh, mm. village, are curious to learn. But who are going to give them? No, it's it's, it's 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 actually very true about, especially about China. Yeah. Very keen to learn about the outside world. Right. And something like um, the uh, Belt and Road Initiative really drives them to understand um, on the cultural side not only what are the differences but what are the similarities. And I think that's something that is truly. Uh, has to be uh, pushed by people like us, the young population, the young generation that not only uh, that comes to China, that, that but that travels from China to the outside to teach one another about the Very differences important. and the similarities. That's why and Scholar and Bell Road Initiative uh, relevant projects are actually building bridges. I truly believe. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. It's been uh, a very interesting hour. I think we need three more to <laughs> just touch on uh, the meaning of intercultural and interpersonal communication. Thank you so much, Inia, for coming and being on the Scholar on the Belt and Road podcast. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.